Welcome to Licensed Psychologist, Now What? A podcast about the journey psychologists and psychotherapists go through as they reclaim their intuition and unleash their healing gifts while maneuvering getting licensed, life, and making a living. And although this podcast host and many of the guests are mental health professionals, the information provided is not meant to be a substitute for being diagnosed and treated by a licensed mental health, medical, and related professionals, or for supervision and or consultation purposes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Licensed Psychologist Now What? Today, I have one of the guests that I interview for the Beyond Resilience Live. One of the interviews that I enjoy the most was with Marisa Placencia. She is amazing. And I feel like it's such a treat that she's one of the, you know, first guests for this podcast. And today we're going to talk about something a little bit different, but still, I feel like, and whenever somebody asks me for couples, I'm like, I know this therapist, but she's probably full, but she's really good. So just get on their wait list. <laughs> I can keep talking about Jumaritza. But, so I'm so thankful that you're here and welcome to the B. I'm, I was going to say to the Beyond Resilience Life. Oh my God. Still adjusting. <laughs> Licensed psychologist. Now what? Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. No. So can you share a little bit about you and your services and what you love the most? So I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I currently focus my niche in private practice is in working with adults only. I work with individuals and mostly couples dealing with relationship issues, mainly stemming from trauma. I'm trained in emotionally focused therapy in EMDR in brain spotting. And also I integrate energy healing, I integrate spirituality. So the way that I work with, whether it's couples or individuals, it's a little different than what you would typically expect in working with someone who specializes with relationships. Yeah. So, and as far as what I love the most, I think the part that I love the most in working with the population I work with is connecting with the people and connecting on the deep level that I get to connect with them. It's really, it's really something else. It's really intimate. The way that I get to connect with the couples and the individuals that I work with, I get to not just hear about their relationship issues and about their traumas, but I get to really understand and help them connect the dots, not just from a you know, psychological standpoint, but also energetically, also uh, spiritually. Um, it's just such a special, a special thing to work with. So I love that the most. Mm, that sounds so refreshing yeah. in many ways, because it's not like you mentioned connecting to a deeper level. And isn't that what many of clients, when they go to therapy, when I seek therapy, is like that repairing of that connection of being seen, being heard. It's not just, just not give me tools of what to do. I can get that via a coach, a book, <laughs> but yeah. it's more like I want to be seen. I want to be seen and held with all my complexities. Yeah. And I feel like in a way, spirituality adds a little bit to that because 
traditional training. I mean, I'm not training brain spotting or EFT, but I'm training EMDR. And models like that don't necessarily talk about connecting. It's more like, let's learn this skill so you can move people from trauma to like relief of trauma or something, processing the trauma. But yes, it's implied to have that sense of empathy and all that, but it's implied. It's not necessarily discussed as the method. The method is the movement of the eyes, the tapping and all this kind of stuff. So when you say that, and I feel like in moments like what we're living right now is so many people feeling disconnected about themselves, about each other, that when you said that it was so refreshing and, and I have not been your client because <laughs> I'm your friend. Otherwise I might have, but, <laughs> but I definitely can tell that like intuitively that whoever it's in your, in your space, which is that's your office and your space and which I think now you're mostly online. Yes. Yes. I'm only online. Only Great. online. Yes. yes. So yeah. So even even you're mostly online. Look at the beautiful back that you did. It feels like 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 you're in an office. So it's that sense of space holding that yeah. I feel like that could be the energetic and the spiritual skills to help welcome that. So just want to say that backward back to you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's you know, as you were saying what you were saying right now and highlighting the connection part, I thought about how part of the work that I do also, I bring myself a lot into it, which is something that I know, you know, just kind of the way that I listened to your first episode and I was thinking about, you know, what I would share. And I thought about how you know, we're taught in school to not really bring ourselves into the space with the client. And when I talk about connecting with clients, I'm talking about bringing myself into the space as well, right? Bringing myself in the way that I allow myself to cry with my clients if necessary. And if it feels helpful to them, as long as it doesn't feel like I'm getting in the way of their process, right? So that's one of the ways that I help them connect or that I connect with them. And a lot of the times I find that it's really, really powerful. Mm. It's really powerful for them. I've had clients who have, you know, said that they've never had anyone else to cry with them. And just listening to that, that in itself is like, yeah, yeah. 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 It's like, we're not allowed to cry. And then we we internalize and we don't allow ourselves. I know because I feel uncomfortable when I'm in a room with other people or, you know, and I start crying because, but it's all that internalized that is bad thing. Hold it, be strong. Don't yeah. show your vulnerability. And I mean, I can see why from an ancestor's perspective, don't show your vulnerability. It's a way of, you know, that's how they survive. Yeah. So I, yeah, I can empathize with that. And at the same time, it's holding us back. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's so powerful to <laughs> talk about crying with clients when I talk, when I'm working with couples and I end up crying with couples, it's like, you know, it's almost like normalizing that for them so that they can learn to do that with themselves, with each other, Mm. right? So that they can learn to connect with each other in that way, right? We do talk about a lot of, I do find myself because I mainly work with Latinx individuals and couples. I do find myself a lot of the time talking about why it is that we don't we don't we don't normalize crying 
right? Mm-hmm. Why the immigrant experience, for example, why we were taught not to cry, right? Because it, it gets in the way. Yeah. It gets in the way of moving forward. It slows us down. And so it's one of those things where I think that that also makes, that's part of the energy work mm. is learning to move the energy that is within us, learning to move it in a different way than what we were taught. Yeah. I feel like we went, we dived in, which is awesome <laughs> and beautiful. And at the same time, people might be like, can we backtrack a little bit and share? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> so let's backtrack for them. Cause I mean, for me, I'm like, dude, this is juicy. Let's keep on going. Yeah. Yeah, I love going deep. Can you share with us a little bit about your education? I know you mentioned you're a licensed marriage and family therapist, but like your education and the impact of it. Yeah. So I I feel like I need to share a little bit of where I started, where my journey started before graduate school, just to make a little bit of sense. So I started off when I was in high school, I started off wanting to be a nurse. And I, while I was in high school, I was taking nursing classes in community college, determined that I was going to be a nurse. And then I still went ahead and I applied to go to different universities and I got in. And I think because I was the first in my family to apply for going to college, I wasn't necessarily uh, like in a place where I knew what to expect. I, it didn't seem attainable. It didn't seem like I was going to be able to actually make it happen without going through so many hurdles. And so what I did is I ended up applying. I got into a biology program at UC Irvine. That was my dream school. And I got in and then I was like, okay, well, maybe I won't be a nurse. Maybe I'll be a doctor. (laughs) And and I, I just knew that I wanted to work where I would be in the position of helping people. And I feel like I was already intuitively connecting to that side of me, to that healer side of me. And so that's kind of where I went. First year I get to UC Irvine, it was super competitive, super just viciously competitive. <laughs> if I may, I if I may put a word to that, to, to the level of, comp- of competition. Um, I'm talking about, you know, students ripping out pages of the books that you could only access because it was on reserve at the library, you know, just the way that you were graded and so forth. And so very quickly I learned, this is not the environment I want to be in. This is, it was actually making me sick to be in that kind of environment. I ended up getting so sick and not, I'm not just talking about Physically, I mean, when I look back, I think about how physically sick I was getting, how much anxiety I was experiencing at the time. And I think to myself, now that I know what I know about energy, energetically speaking, oh, like what was I doing to myself, right? Being in that environment. So it was thanks to this mentor I had at UC Irvine through a program for minorities that I... um that I was able to, for the first time, be referred to therapy. I didn't know it at the time, but she herself was a marriage and family therapist. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so she came to me, she came to my dorm. She said, let's go for a walk. She asked me what's going on. She heard me out and she said, you need to go to counseling. You need to go to the counseling center. You need to 
connect with a therapist and you need to do some therapy and you need to figure out what your next step is because I'm concerned for you. So my grades were suffering. So because I was physically sick all the time. And so, you know, I did. I listened. I was very diligent. I scheduled my appointment. I went in there and I remember the look on this therapist's face. She was a very young, a very young Asian woman who was a psychologist, a very, I think she was newly licensed. And I just remember the look on her face when I just, I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. I don't know where I'm supposed to start, but I was like, here you go. This is what I, this is my life story, right? At that age, I mean, I was only, I think I was 19 by that time. And at that age, I was just, all right, I don't know. I have no filter, right? Mm-hmm. And I told her all of my trauma, I think in like one sitting. And I, when I tell you the look on her face was like, like she wanted to like run. She wanted to like, just like, didn't know what to do with me. I was like, Oh, like that made me realize, I think I have a lot here. And I think, and it made me realize I didn't, I hadn't really stopped to think before then how much I hadn't dealt with. And so that was my first experience with counseling. I did it for a short period of time because it was through the school, you know, and, and it was short term. I graduated with, I ended up graduating with my bachelor's in criminology and uh, in English, you know, criminology, because a lot of, I think it was, I found myself in that area because of my trauma, having dealt with being my family at different instances, having to deal with being victims of crime and, and also having criminals in my family, you know, and, and so the, the whole mumble jumble of that. And so I wanted to understand the criminal behavior. Mm-hmm. And I ended up taking a lot of psychology classes as a result. Right. Because it's very, very so, <laughs> I was fascinated with this. I end up that leads into the English degree was just because I wanted to stay longer in school because I wasn't ready to confront <laughs> the adult world and didn't want to go get a job. Um, <laughs> Good for so, you. <laughs> I like, Can I add another degree? Whoever will take me, I'll do your degree. And they took me. <laughs> and it was yes. so much fun. I got to take poetry. I got to, but you know, even if I think back to it, even that in itself was part of my formation yes. uh, in the healing arts, right? Yes. Because I took, poetry classes. I read philosophy. I, I feel like a lot of the stuff, a lot of the discussions had to do on some level with spirituality, yes. with the meaning of life. Yes. So I hadn't thought about that until right now. Yeah, yeah no, but it makes completely sense. Yes. So I go, I graduate, I end up working with victims of crime. I become a victim advocate. During that time, I knew that wasn't it. I knew mm. that I needed to go beyond that. And I, it took me a whole year to realize where I wanted to go. So I decided I'm not going to go to grad school right away. I did get into a social work program right out of undergrad, but I decided I can't because of some of the questions they asked me. Like one of the questions I remember that really scared me was, would you be willing to remove children from their home for their safety? Right. And I was like, ah, you know, like yeah. remove kids from their families. What? Like I couldn't hear the, 
for their safety part. Right, right. Right. Yeah. That didn't click for me. And so I just remember thinking, I can't be a social worker. <laughs> I can't separate families, you know? And so I ended up just, you know, nope, not going to do it. And they were offering me a full scholarship. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. And I look at my student loans, I'm like, I'm <laughs> sure I made the wisest decision, right? But anyway, so I, I ended up turning it down. I I ended up taking a whole year and I I decided I'm gonna have I'm gonna just take all these classes for fun. We'll see what I end up taking. So I went to community college oh. and I decided to just have fun. When I looked at the end of that year, when I looked at my transcript, I had taken all psychology classes. <laughs> <laughs> and so but but here's the thing they weren't even like like your typical psychology classes they were like fun classes they were classes mm-hmm. where it almost felt like I went to community college to continue therapy yeah I right Cause, I, yeah yeah because a lot of the professors I ended up uh taking classes with they were therapists in private practice mm-hmm. and they would run the class they would facilitate the class in a way that it really got you to reflect you know, to go and like really learn about yourself. So I, love I learned classes so much from so much about myself. I became so aware of certain things. I was like, oh my God, you know? And so at some point, I think that's what led me to finally commit to therapy and to commit to therapy in a way that I was like, okay, there are so many stones that haven't been turned over and I need to get underneath what these stones are covering mm-hmm. in my life so that I can understand myself. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, in amongst all this, or, or in the course of all this, there was a lot of, a lot of talk here and there that would come up about, you know, on my dad's side of the family, my deal or my dad's deal, who was a healer, a well-known healer in, um, I think it was in Manzanillo, Mexico. Un I don't remember who was in Guadalajara. What was that? Like a shaman, uh, or how would it? How they would? So, yeah. So he was considered uh, somebody who would be sanador de luz blanca. Uh, I've heard of that. Yeah. So he basically would the way that the stories that I heard were that he would he belonged to a community of healers that would go into the mountains and they would practice their healing with each other. They would have ceremonies and then they would come back and they would make themselves available to the people. And I heard stories even before, you know, I was an adult, I heard stories about how his healing had healed, you know, different family members. Mm -hmm. And it always stuck with me. It always was something that kind of, I would hang on to. Mm-hmm. And I, I I felt a special relationship with that. I felt there was something there when I was supposed to, and I feel like I'm backtracking even further, but I, mm-hmm. I feel like it's an important piece. When I was supposed to meet him because of stuff I was dealing with that my parents felt I needed to go see him for when I was a minor, he basically passed away two weeks right before I was supposed to meet him. Oh, no. My parents were making arrangements oh. for me to go to go get some healing from him. So I remember feeling like that was a loss, 
for me, even though I never met him, because I felt like I, I had come so close to something that I needed to be close with. Yeah. So then I think that's what, you know, sometime later, a few years ago, led me to want to get trained in Reiki. Yeah. Because that was the closest thing that I could feel was similar to that. I can see. I also, yeah. I also grew up with hearing about my great grandmother and how she was. She was like a good bruja from the pueblo where she was from and how she was basically someone that would uh, bring healing for the people. And she was really highly respected and, you know, sought after. And so I used to hear some stories, not as detailed as from my uncle, but that was on my maternal side. My mom would talk about whatever she knew here and there, I would hear stories from my tias. And so that was another piece that was like, mm. <laughs> yeah. okay, you know, but then, a lineage of healers. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so and for you are me, a healer. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it was like, uh, I need to keep it, you know, I need to like legitimize whatever, you know, like almost like, let me disconnect from that. There was a part of me that was really scared of the stigma. Really, really of scary. Course. Yeah, I hear yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I found myself then going to deciding to go to graduate school to become a therapist. So I went to Alliant International University, and I um, decided, okay, if I'm going to be any kind of healer, it's going to be one that is licensed, one that like, is a legitimate. A legitimate uh, yeah. one, right? Like a, yeah, one that is that with is a little card or something. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I'm not gonna deal with the stigma. I'm not gonna deal with. I'm not gonna deal with any of the. I used to see it as danger. Any of the dangers that healers have dealt with for generations, mm-hmm. right? And so, I mean, one of the things that we really focused on when I was an English major was learning about the witch trials, you know, in Massachusetts. And I remember thinking, like, I don't want to be a witch burning at the stake. Right. 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 So, I mean, we have our own, I feel like we can still have our own modern day, you know, witches burning at the stake. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so that's what I wanted to avoid. Yeah. So that's kind of what led me to get a master's degree in Marriage and family therapy. Um, (laughs) Not, you know, not wanting to explore outside of that at first. Yeah. Yeah. I can empathize and and relate so much to wanting to find, I guess, you know, when you're looking at all the different options, finding a profession that is legitimized and that, you know, it's structure and that it will be acceptable. Mm-hmm. But then down the road, when you close the door, <laughs> you can do, you know, and do more different things. And it's so interesting because I did feel the same. I have an undergrad in psychology and I took all these classes, fun classes, and that they would go into the philosophy behind psychology, which is the study of the psyche. And that part included the spiritual part. So and then when I went more to grad school and it was more specific and more, my school was very CBT and, and you know, what's the conceptualization of the case? What are the treatment goals? What are, you know, what is the plan, the prognosis and all those kind of stuff? It kind of took me a little bit away, but I feel like 
really honing back to to you as as a healer because you are a healer you come from a lineage of healers Mm -hmm. so it's like you're reclaiming that and i wonder how was it for you to then you know make the decision to go into reiki because i bet that probably was a journey in itself yeah yeah so i feel like i had no choice there's so if i if i want to stick with just reiki at the time when that happened trying to remember if it was before or it actually was right after yeah it was right after so my grandfather dies my thank you it's uh it was expected it wasn't it wasn't something that we didn't know was coming i actually got to say goodbye to my grandfather i got to visit him two weeks prior to him passing i got to spend you know a moment even though my grandfather could no longer speak and he was no longer mobile i got to spend a few moments with him alone and i got to tell him that i loved him and i got to kiss him you know and i hugged him and i could tell that he understood what was happening so that experience so two weeks later i have this experience where it started this very it almost feels like it was a dream because it was a period a period of time the day that my grandfather passed, I was coming back from, you know, getting a massage and long story short, I ended up feeling really tired and I get home and I tell my husband, can you please get us lunch? I, I need to take a nap. I go and I take a nap without taking my shoes off, without taking my sunglasses off. I just collapsed on the bed mm-hmm. and my husband couldn't wake me up for three hours. Oh, wow. So I go into this sleep and when I woke up, I told my husband, you know, I, I wasn't in my body. Mm-hmm. I wasn't in my body. I, it, it was, it was the weirdest experience ever. So I got to see myself walking towards this, you know, altar and seeing how my grandfather was being put into the ground behind the altar. Mm-hmm. And so I wake up and I told my husband, I think my grandfather is is dying or he died already. And my husband's like, that's weird. Don't say that. That's right. scary. You know, like, right. he's like, don't talk about that. Right. Yeah. And so I was just like, I was eating my lunch, my cold lunch. <laughs> by this, I mean, yeah. by this time, I was three cold. hours later. Yes. Yeah. And so I, I was just like, I'm in shock. I don't know what this means. I, you know, it feels really weird. It was like an out of body experience. And, and then I remember thinking, am I like, do I need to be talking to my therapist about this? Like, what, what's like, do I need to take meds? Like, what's wrong with me? You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, am I having some kind of, you know, right? Like a psychotic, or, yes, you know, so, yeah. yes. Started like diagnosing myself. Right. Right. And so I, I think less than an hour later, we're driving because we were supposed to meet up with my, one of my brothers. And my brother calls and he says, are you driving? And I said, no, I'm actually a passenger. My husband's driving. And he says, okay, well, grandpa passed away. And I was like, first thought I had was it's my fault because I didn't say what I, I didn't call and tell them. Right. But then I, you know, we got off the phone and I was just like crying and shock. And, and my husband, you know, he was like, you it sounds like you 
maybe you went off, you were off seeing your grandpa, you know, like, like uh, astral traveling. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and at the time I had no idea what that was. Yeah. Right. And, and my husband was like, that's really weird. And, and at the same time, you know, ooh, like, it sounds like you were there for him. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was just very like, okay, all right. Next thing I know, we're headed down to, you know, across the border for my grandpa's funeral. And at the funeral, I shared with some of my guests what happened. Mm -hmm. And that's where I got a lot more of the story about uh, my great grandma. I got more, more details. So the funeral actually turned into almost like an experience where I was given or gifted more information about where I come from. Wow. And a circle. Yeah. Yes. And it was the weirdest thing. So the whole way to the funeral, the drive there and the whole throughout, I had the craziest like third eye opening sensation. Uh -huh. And I kept going like this. You know? uh -huh. <laughs> I was like, what is this? It feels like a, like a hole in my forehead. Something. Like, <sighs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was yeah. the weirdest thing. And it was so just, it was not necessarily uncomfortable. It was more weird. You know, right. like I wasn't used to it. And so anyway, we come back from the funeral, the cemetery, and that took me through a journey of that whole week. I just felt all this energy that I just couldn't explain. I ended up going to this, you know, journaling class with meditation that turns out to be with, I didn't know that the facilitator was a medium. That took me into a whole wow, other yes. You know, somebody there gave me a message that my grandpa wanted me to know he was okay. They described this picture that they couldn't have possibly known about, mm -hmm. you know, and basically gave me all these, like all this evidence that it was my grandpa coming through. Yeah, And I was like, what is this? Fast forward to maybe two, no, it was like a month or two later. I think it was about a month. My aunt's husband gets really sick and he's in a coma. And I start hearing this message of, <laughs> you need to go and take him healing. And I was like, I don't know what this is. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what kind of healing I'm supposed to take him. Mm -hmm. I end up going and I end up going into his room. The nurse thinks that I'm his daughter, that I'm my cousin. Mm -hmm. We do kind of look alike. Um, and so the nurse said something to me. I didn't really pay attention. I was just there, like trying, like just staring at him, like not knowing what, what I'm supposed to be doing. But then as soon as the doctor comes in, the doctor starts telling me what the latest results are before I could tell her I'm not his daughter. Right. Okay. Well, one of the things I haven't shared is that up until this point, since a very early age, I've been fascinated with reading medical journals. Uh. I've been fascinated with learning about how the body works, mm -hmm. how the cells work. You know, yes. there's, I've always been fascinated with that stuff. Part of why I at some point wanted to be a doctor. And so right. the doctor starts telling me this and all of a sudden in my, I, it's, it's almost like a weird, like a weird, I don't even know how to describe it, but the best I can do is I start seeing what the doctor is telling me. And I think there's so, a word for that, a, like a, one of the Claire's. I wouldn't know the name, which one? Yeah. Claire Yeah. I, 
or maybe I don't know because I could see the body the like the cells and like the blood I could see what she was telling me Mm. and so next thing I know there was something in me that said you just need to put your hands above him and you need to do it here here and here and so I go and I do it if I if I tell you I had never sweat the way that I sweat doing that ever in my life. I'm not typically a person who sweats much. It felt like I had been under the sun for hours, like in the desert hot sun. Oh my God. I was dripping sweat. Wow. I could feel it. I remember, I remember doing that and I remember how bright the room felt, but I was tuning everything else out. I asked my cousin afterwards, because she was the only one that witnessed this. I said, you know, was the son really like in the room? (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so anyway, I, so that led me to, I I forget how I had, oh, I had found out there was going to be a training for Reiki. So that led me to, okay, I need to find out more about this, you know, white light healing. Because then I kept thinking about my uncle right. I kept about like, what, what did I just do? Like that whole entire day, I was having like these hot flashes. And then at some point I was like, am I going into menopause in my thirties? Oh you know, goodness. like, yes, like, yes. What, like what, what is happening? It was on a raining day, by the way. Oh, wow. So yeah. So there was not even like sun <laughs> and we're, so, and we're in SoCal. It was in, in California. It was in California and it was in San Diego. Yeah. So, so. <laughs> yes. So I, next thing I know, the next month I'm actually taking Reiki mm. during the Reiki training. One of the messages that I got was that the, the light of Reiki had already been given to me. Mm. And I was like, ah, okay, that makes sense. You know? So anyway, so that, that's kind of how I, I ended up doing that. I remember seeing you at that event yes. at that mixer and we spoke about Reiki. Mm-hmm. You told me about pranic healing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you remember this, but I remember that I reached did. out to you yes. Yes. afterwards. And I was, cause I was so like Reiki, 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 Reiki. Right. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't sleep that whole night after. Mm-hmm. And I was told I needed to go get trained in pranic healing. Okay. And so, you know, thanks to, Mm-hmm. Our interaction, my energy healing training advanced to pranic healing. And so what I incorporate with clients is really a combination of all of that training. It's really a combination of the understanding, the knowledge that I gained through all of that. So yeah. it's Yeah, because it's, it's gonna come through you with your own experience. I love hearing your story and what keeps coming and popping for me is like you were like nope, not that way. Nope, not that way. Nope, not like you, you were able to see the redirection and you were not afraid to take it. You were like, I'm not seeing this. I'm going to stay behind. You kept, you know, going through the redirection like a river, letting it flow. Yeah. And for those therapists that are hearing this and that probably would love to do it, but are afraid of what about, you know, first of all, the licensing piece, or if they're still with supervisors, or they work in an agency, and what would you tell them? You know, first of all, I think that there are people like you and I who are creating 
space that is meant to create safety for mm-hmm. those therapists. Mm-hmm. Last year, I created the, you know, the community of, it was really out of the need of, I just don't want to be alone during the pandemic. Right. <laughs> right. But it's a, a very intimate little group of holistic therapists. And these are the things we talk about, right? So my advice would be find your people. Mm -hmm. Even if you are still under supervision, find your people. We have, we have therapists that are not, well, now they are, but that weren't licensed that Mm -hmm. when I initially started that group. And so that's my advice. Find your people. I think our field is, it has, it's so diverse. Yes. Diverse in the sense that I think more now we're seeing people of color right. in the field, but that's not in the way that I mean it's diverse. I mean, it's more diverse in the sense that we have therapists that are believers of energy, non-believers, you know, somewhat open to it, extremely opposing to it, right? right. And so, And so I think that if you cannot find your people right away, <laughs> I where you're at because of you know because the community's not there, you know, find slowly find your people by connecting with those that are somewhat open to it. Yeah. Those people will lead you to the other people. Right. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of how I was guided in some way. I was fortunate enough that I worked at an agency where. I remember the supervisor talking to us about the Enneagram and she would, she had us do, you know, like, let's all take the Enneagram test and find our type. We learned about the emotion freedom technique. I got trained in this modality called healing from your body level up, which it kind of, it's very similar to EMDR, but it has a spiritual component to it that is very like out there. Anyway, the point is, it's, it's really out there. Mm -hmm. And so you don't hear much about it because it's, I don't think it's as popular. I've never heard of it. No. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it really introduced me. It allowed me to be introduced to things that were, that we would consider unconventional in our field. So I think, and that's what I mean by Find your people, even if it means starting off with people that are somewhat open to it. Because if I went and I told those people that I was with back then, what I'm doing now, how I'm doing things now, they probably would, I would probably get some, you know, some comments. Yeah. Some burning at the stake. Yeah. Yes. And you know what? It's funny because one of the people I actually ended up opening up to and went at the beginning of you know, the journey that I, that I was just talking to you about. And that person has not spoken to me since it it was one of the, you know, somewhat open, you know, so. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, and I bet, you know, whoever is listening and be like, but I don't have anyone that's somewhat open. I would even say like, I'm right now reading a book about connecting with ancestors and it's a psychologist Mm -hmm. and it's all about mentor, you know, like being a medium in a way or connecting to that other realm. And his name is Daniel Four, I think Four F O O R. And there's so many books out there done by psychotherapists that are out there. So it's just that it's not. It used to be spoken about. I think the whole evidence-based 
practices have made it and trying to become a science, you know, people would say it is a science and all that has taken all these other parts. And the clients, we're not going to be serving everyone, but the clients that are open for this and are looking for that, they can benefit so much. So, and now you have someone else here. You can definitely reach out to Maritza and, you know, with her community when she opens, if she opens the doors again and ask me questions and I'm super open about it. And the reason, you know, the whole, when you were saying how you remember that I mentioned Pranic, then it blew my mind thinking all the people that got involved for that. Because Linda Garcia recommended me to do Pranic healing. She's like, I feel like you have to do it. You have to do it. And I took it while I was pregnant first trimester. So I was there, but I was not there. I I have to like redo the whole thing. And then Adriana did a a mixer (laughs) that I was there. And then you were there and randomly we ended up talking about it, like all the factors that had to get in the way for me, you know, because as I was sharing it to you, I was sharing like, this was really cool, but I feel like I couldn't learn that much because I was like throwing out like nauseous and wow. So hmm, I know we can keep on talking and we're like, (laughs) but I wanted to do the fire round questions. So it's like, um, (laughs) I wanted to feel like a, like a test, like a psychological test, more like fill the sentence. So my unique and special gift is. Oh, I, this is the one that caused me the most anxiety. <laughs> oh, okay. Got oh, it. I'm going to go. R, what not is, that? R. Instead of is, R, maybe like several. Well, I'm going to go based on what people tell me. People say that I have a, a unique way of connecting with them, of making them feel seen. So agree with them. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I am reclaiming. I am reclaiming healing without all the red tape. I no longer subscribe to questioning where I come from, questioning my ancestors. If my ancestor would speak, they would say they are proud of me for carrying their legacy. And my wish for you is. For you and for the listeners to continue following your intuitive hits, because I think that that is the safest way to say that we are being true to ourselves and that we are being true to our purpose. And that's what I hear from your stories. Like you got guided, you got the sign and you follow through. And that takes so much courage. So I I just want to salute you for that and for following it. And I bet there was resistance, but they were still following. And that takes so much courage. Yeah, there was a lot of resistance. Yeah. 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 As we're ending, Maritza, can you let our listeners know where they can find you, get to see your current, or if you want to share your current offerings, if you have any? I can be found at Mindful Quest RC or mindfulquestrelationshipcounseling.com. I'm on Instagram, not as active this year. I decided to take a little bit of a break this year, but I do have some ideas in the works as far as offerings that I'm not, I will be when I'm ready putting out Mm -hmm. through Instagram. But there's ideas for groups, workshops, retreats, (laughs) and yeah. That's kind of what's in the works 
I'm also currently working on a book. Also deciding when I will be taking the step forward to starting my own podcast. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> but that's not something that is necessarily pressing for me. So, you know, if you end up following me or, you know, checking me out, know that that's something coming down the line. Yeah. <laughs> if you liked any of the stuff or want to learn more about the stuff that I shared today. Yeah. And I love that. One of the things that I feel like as I'm realizing my specialty is, is helping others reconnect to their medicine and bring it forward. And I feel like you're doing it. It's so beautiful. Even right now you're seeing, there was a moment that that flower in the back end looked like a dove for a second. And I'm like, okay, it's not a dove, it's a flower, Liliana. But it looked like a dove. And then it was like, it's a crown. It's like you're wearing this beautiful white light crown. Yeah. Yes. So. Yeah. Thank you, queen of white light. <laughs> thank you. And yeah, thank you. You know, thank you for, you've been a big part with, I don't think you know this, but you've been a really big part of this journey because I feel like, you know, the way that I got connected to pranic healing and all the learning that has come through that, all of the knowledge that I get to incorporate now with clients when I, you know, talk to them about chakras, when I talk to them about, you know, even in the way that I incorporate energy healing without necessarily saying we're doing energy healing, right. right? It's because of all the learning that I gained through being in the pranic healing community and taking those trainings. And so you've been a really big part of my development. So thank you. Thank you so much for that. Mm, I receive it. And thank you for also reflecting that to me and reminding me to like, Go back and get the training. Now Luna is a year, almost and a half. Because <laughs> so, I, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Marita, this was such a treat. Any last thoughts you want to say or as we're ending? Yeah. One of the things that I wanted to say is that if you're new in the field, or even if you're not new, but you've been too afraid to embrace these gifts, to embrace the healing that the medicine that you carry within because of licensure boards, because of, or licensing boards, or because of what your colleagues, what your community is going to, don't be, don't be. We need more therapists that are not afraid to bring the medicine without the red tape, that are not afraid to incorporate it. There is a way to incorporate the mm -hmm. medicine, the healing in a way that fits and also that accommodates to if you really, you know, are worried about your license. There is also a way that sometimes we can become so aware how powerful and how necessary the medicine is that the license is only just kind of in addition to who yes. we are, right? So, yes, so important. Yeah. So yes. that's, you know, it's about, it's about you showing up fully to do the work and to create the healing space that people need. That's really what it truly is about. Yeah. When there's a will, there's a way. Yes. And you can do it, definitely. I would say for those of you continued discussion interested, make sure to check out the coaching program because we're going to be talking about some legal things of separating and this, because this is what holds a lot of therapists back. 
And it's like, you don't like, yeah, there's ways that you can do it. And down the road, I don't know if I'm going to keep this license, to be honest. I know I have it for now. And yeah. that's not going to take my training and my, you know, I've been 13 years and you've been probably for a while as well. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, thank <laughs> you so much. Yeah. All righty, everyone. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Licensed Psychologist Now What? To make sure you don't miss any episode, make sure to subscribe via your favorite podcast player and to join our email list via our website. Lastly, I will appreciate if you would rate and review our podcast to help us reach more folks that can benefit from the information provided here. Until next time, bye-bye.